today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Obedience is hard work. Obedience is hard work. It's a difficult thing. I've shared it with you before. Any dead fish can float downstream. It's when you become a live fish and you're trying to swim upstream that the difficulty comes. Oh, and by the way, as you're trying to swim upstream, all those dead fish keep coming and hitting you right in the face. You see, it's difficult work to walk in obedience. And that's why Paul says, man, for the rest of you, don't grow weary in doing good. Obedience to the Lord is hard work. That's why Paul encouraged believers not to grow weary in doing good for the Lord. We will certainly meet opposition and attack from the enemy. Today, Pastor David encourages us to keep going. He uses the example of salmon swimming upstream. It is tremendously hard work, and they meet many obstacles. Still, they persevere. Only a few make it to the end. But none of them give up. Be strengthened in the Lord and never cease doing good work in His name. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message from the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, A Call to Work. there is tasso, and that means order, it means discipline, it means in a mannerly way or assigned to a set position, but these individuals as part of the body of Christ here in Thessalonica, they were living their lives atoktos, in a negative sense, they were out of order, they were unbridled, they were without discipline. Now Paul comes in not simply uh, with a suggestion or even his own uh, direction here. He declares to them actually a, a command. He says, I command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the command to the church was that they withdraw from such a person. Now we'll look at that withdrawing in, in a moment. But for now, you you need to realize that there's more to this situation than just some that are simply not working. Paul says that there needs to be some kind of disciplinary measures taken by the church for those who walk disorderly, not according to the tradition that they had received from us. In other words, Paul is saying what we had taught you, what what we've uh, sent letters to you, they're walking not according to those things. The idea is that this not working was only a symptom of what was going on. The inactivity, their idleness, uh, merely a symptom. That activity of being a busybody there, just a symptom. All of this coming as a result of a life that was out of order, a life unbridled in their discipline. And here Paul telling the church, you need to withdraw from every brother, 
Oh, and ladies, by inference, it's every sister also, okay? So understand that. We want to be fair here, okay? Withdraw from every brother who walks in such a way. Well, again, we'll look at that deal of withdrawing in, in a moment. Paul warns him here, verse 12. He says, now those who are such, we command and we exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they walk in quietness and they eat their own bread. Once again, this isn't just Paul's idea. No, he, he commanded and exhorted through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting here as Paul both commands and exhorts. You know, this is the only place we find as Paul writes that he does both. He commands and exhorts at the very same time. The word command is a military term. It's giving orders, those in higher authority, speaking to those in the lower ranks. The idea is the necessity of obeying the command. You really don't have any choice in the matter. When the higher authority, your commanding officer, gives you a command, you can't say, well, let me think about that for a moment. Or, you know, that really doesn't fit into my schedule today. That's not going to work. When the higher authority gives you a command, you are required to do it. And Paul here, he brings this charge, he says, through the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, beloved, you and I, we have no other choice but to obey the word of the Lord and the command of the Lord, or we are found to be disobedient. That's just flat out the way it is. When God speaks into our hearts or when his word declares to us his truth and we say, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to do that. That doesn't fit into my personality style. I'm gonna go do something else. You, at that point in time, you step into that area of disobedience. And even our disobedience, That's that's a much stronger word than this idea of just simply being out of order or unbridled. Here, when we're commanded of something, then our disobedience actually moves into insubordination. It moves into defiance. It moves into rebellion against the very command of God. But then we see here, he's not only do I command, but I exhort you. He adds an exhortation to this command. An exhortation is a kind of idea of, of an older brother coming to a, a younger brother and just really concerned about the, the track of their life and say, man, I, I see what's going on in your life right now and I'm concerned for you. You need, to, you need to change, you need to turn around, you need to go another way. Not in a judgmental type of a thing, but in the love of a brother speaking to a brother or a sister speaking to a sister saying, man, I see the things that are going on in your life and you as a believer, you know those things are not of Christ. Let me walk with you. Let me encourage you. It's an exhortation. It's a heartfelt appeal, not a command, but a pleading and encouraging and an urging. Paul commands and he exhorts those that are living their lives in this unruliness, in this disorder. And he commands them to repent. Don't go that way anymore. Their lives needed to change. They needed to see the necessity to work in quietness and to eat their own bread. 
For the rest, those who had been faithful in their lives, in their walk with the Lord, those who had continually worked with their own hands, those that cared for their own needs, Paul encourages them in verse 13, do not grow weary in doing good. I can see how this would be necessary to, to, to receive. You're part of the fellowship and you see these guys over here and they're not, not, not you guys, but you, know, a, 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 you see a, a group within the body that, that, man, they're just not doing what they ought to do and yet they're just kind of floating along and they're sponging off of everybody else. And yet you want to live your life according to what God has said. You want to live your life faithful. You want to live your life obedient. And you see these others that call themselves believers and they're not living in faithfulness. They're not living in obedience. And you just grow weary because, man, let's face it, disobedience, or obedience, I'm sorry, obedience is hard work. Obedience is hard work. It's a difficult thing. I've shared it with you before. Any dead fish can float downstream. It's when you become a live fish and you're trying to swim upstream that the difficulty comes. Oh, and by the way, as you're trying to swim upstream, all those dead fish keep coming and hitting you right in the face. You see, it's difficult work to walk in obedience. And that's why Paul says, man, for the rest of you, don't grow weary in doing good. Their willingness to work with their own hands, provide for themselves, for their families, for others, man, that was a good thing. It was a worthwhile thing. That attitude of selfless life for them, bringing about this willingness to work and and not grow weary in the midst of the call that God had on their life. Their their overall commitment to the sovereignty of of, of God brings with it this understanding that all that they do, all that they do, They do it as unto the Lord. And beloved, that's the understanding that you and I as believers need to have within our lives. All that we do is unto the Lord. If you are his, you're living your life to his glory. We are called as believers to be those who live our lives both through work, through leisure, all of that for the glory of God. Guys, it's what some have called the Puritan work ethic, and, but it was long before the Puritans. It was also called the Protestant work ethic, but it was long before the Protestants. It's also called, believe it or not, it's called the Calvinist work, work ethic, but it was long before John Calvin or Martin Luther. Paul writes it continually within his writings. We, we see it here in verse 12. Work in quietness and eat your own bread. He told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, therefore, rather you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. To the church in Colossia, he writes in chapter three, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All that we do for the glory of God. Robert Tomasi, in an introduction to his book, Jesus Works Here, it's a great title. He writes these words. He said, work is sacred. It was ordained by God from the beginning, before the fall of man. After the fall, it just got tougher, frustrating, exhausting, 
and sometimes even boring. But work pursued with excellence and integrity is still pleasing to God, a way of honoring him by serving in the unique ways he has equipped us. Our work often provides the opportunities to proclaim him to a broken, unredeemed world through our example as well as by our words. That's a powerful statement. And I believe it's a strongly true biblical statement of what God's call is for every believer. God has called us to occupy until he comes, not sit on our laurels waiting for him to come. Many, if you think about it, many of the parables of Jesus speaks about an honest labor, a continual labor until the master returns. Beloved, our work, all of our work is sacred for the glory of God. This is not only our call and privilege, it's our command from the Lord. That's why it is so important where we work. Do we take a job just to gain money? Or do we look and say, Lord, what would you have me to do for your glory? Maybe that next job isn't as much as you're making now, but God has a better reason for it, a better purpose for it. God, where would you have me go? Now again, for those of you that are here and you're retired and said, well, I'm, I'm checked out of that scene. I'm not, I'm, I'm not employed anymore. But you know what? Every part of your life is for the glory of God and in every action of your life. What do you spend your time for? Is it, again, can you say, in the midst of this, man, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna have fun with my friends? Great, that's fine. God, I believe God's all in that. That's okay. As long as in the midst of that, you can do that for the glory of God. Maybe in the midst of that time, you can, through your actions and through your words, being a strong example of Christ to your friends or to your neighbors, he can give you that opportunity to share the reality of the hope that's within you, the reason for the hope that's within you. You and I ought to be ready at all times to give reason for that hope, both in season and out of season, so that you and I, in whatever we do, in work, indeed, giving glory and honor, to God. Beloved, this is so important that here in 2 Thessalonians, Paul warns the church there in verse 6. He says that you withdraw from every brother who walks dishonor or disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. In verse 10, he says, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Verse 14, note that person. Don't keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Verse 15, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. We need to be perfectly clear here. Paul isn't saying that, that this individual that is suddenly, you know, he's not living his life the way he ought to. He's, he's living in disorder. He's living unruly. He, he's not working, whatever the situation might be. Paul's not saying he's not a believer. He's simply saying that he's unruly. He's disobedient. I think we can, you know, we can well agree with there are times in, in, in every one of our lives that we're disobedient. Or, am I, or is it a small boat? I don't, I don't know. No, I, I think it's a big boat, and I think every believer falls into that boat at some point in time within our lives. 
sometimes multiple times within our He's not saying they're non-believers. He's saying, no, you need to admonish him as a brother. But he does say you need to pull away or withdraw, not to keep company with him, but don't count him as an enemy. Well, how do we do that? Well, I know that there are churches that, uh, man, they just, they, they find out something about someone, they, they ban them from fellowship. You're, you're out of here. You can't come through the doors. They post, you know, uh, uh, the big ushers at the front door to keep that individual out. I, I'm not sure that that's where Paul is really going here. I, I look at this more along the line of the, the fellowship, the sweetness of the fellowship that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ, that once we realize, you know what, this brother or this sister, man, they're, man, they're, they're, they're walking away from the Lord. They're, they're living their lives not for his glory but for their own flesh, that at that point in time, even as the word says, you who are spiritual, go to that one that's caught in a sin. You see, we need to bring the context of the whole word together, that we, again, encourage that one. But you know what? That, I, I believe that within the context of what Paul is saying, that it comes to a point that if that's the way they continue to live, they continue to choose, again, opposing to the word of God, then you're not going to be hanging out with them. They're not going to be the ones that you say, hey, just come on over. Everything's fine. Everything's normal. Because it's not normal. They're dragging down the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by their actions. Oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Just don't watch how I live. But you see, the world watches. And so that's why, again, the responsibility is there. And in the midst of that responsibility, God is saying, man, do that in order that they they might be ashamed. I, I, I would use the words in order that their eyes might be opened to realize the significance and the depth of everything that they're doing and the danger of what they're doing. Let's put it this way. If you had a child and, and that child, again, was doing fine and, man, you, you, you gave the child an allowance or you go to Disneyland or you go to the movies, they've got you know, all the electronics and everything is fine. Well, when that child is disobedient, you don't just keep doing the same thing over and over. Okay, maybe some parents do, but you're doing it wrong, okay? Uh, you don't continue to reward the disobedience. When the disobedience comes, says, honey, you know what? We're gonna take your electronics away for the day. Okay, you know, we were gonna go to the movies this Friday, but the way that you've been, you know, living, the way that you've been acting this week, that's canceled. You need to straighten up. And suddenly it gets attention. It gets their attention. I believe in the same way. He's saying, man, we're not, our fellowship isn't going to be the same as it was because you're just not walking right in the Lord. And I'm not saying that I'm a better guy than you are, and I'm not coming as a judge. I'm just coming as the reality of what's happening in your life. And Paul calls him to this. And the discipline that Paul suggests here is like all of the discipline of the Lord. It's given for one purpose, and that's the purpose of reconciliation, that they might come to a point of repentance, and then in that repentance, they turn back to the Lord, and they're reconciled back to the Lord, that they might be ashamed, and hopefully that that shame would draw them to repentance, not treated as an enemy, but we admonish them as a brother or a sister in order that they might see, again, that, that, that error of their ways, in order that they might repent, that they might be reconciled both to God and to the brothers and sisters in the work of the Lord. The living of our lives, gang, 
It needs to bring glory and honor to God and to our Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives. The work of our hands, whether we be truck drivers or diaper changers, whether we be doctors or carpenters, whether we be teachers or ministers of the gospel, it should all bring glory and honor to God since by his hand, he's called us and he's placed us in whatever position that we're in. It's him who deserves and sustains by his power, by his strong and mighty hand. He keeps us and he holds us. I believe that that's what Paul is trying to drive home to the Thessalonians in this last passage. Paul ends this with just a a blessing uh, and and a word uh, to the fellowship there. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and in every way. Beloved, we live in a world of turmoil. All around us is turmoil. And in some of your homes, that turmoil has, man, broken the door down and it's taken over within your home. I pray that the Lord of peace himself would give you peace in your home. Maybe your life, man, maybe it's not your family, maybe just inside your life, you're struggling, you're battling with stuff, and there is absolutely no peace. I pray that the Lord of peace himself would give you his peace in the midst of whatever battle, whatever struggle, whatever issues that are going on, that in the struggle of this life, that his peace would be yours, that the Lord would be with you all, probably every one of us, maybe multiple times in our lives, we get to those seasons of quiet, those seasons of darkness. Man, we don't hear the Lord. We don't see the Lord. It's just quiet and it's dark. But beloved, we need to understand he's with us in the dark. He's with us in the quiet. He is with us always, always waiting for us to call out, to cry out to him. That's what God would have for us. Paul says that I write this salutation with my own hand. That's a sign in every gospel, and so I write. He writes it that way because, again, as we've shared some in the past, many think that Paul had problems with his eyes, probably from the Damascus Road experience, the scales that were on there, that, again, he probably needed someone to write these things out. He would dictate them, and then a secretary would write it out for him. He says, this letter is really for me. And I believe, again, he is saying that so that the, the, the people would know, man, this is from his heart. This isn't just something that he's copied over, not just a message he found on the internet and decided to share it with the group there. No, this is from his heart. And he says, man, I write this. This is my own signature, so you know it's from me. And then he ends up, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of God. You know what the grace of God is, don't you? That's getting much more than we deserve. Getting so much more than we deserve. That's the difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, okay? Just the total opposite thing. God's mercy does not give us the punishment. Paul says that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, and amen. Living a life that honors God sounds good in theory, but it's difficult in practice. 
the more we strive to please Jesus with our words and works, the more the enemy will try to pull us off our path or set up roadblocks of discouragement. What we need at these times is perseverance, and that's what we learn from the book of 2 Thessalonians. We hope that as Pastor David continues to study this New Testament letter, you find your faith renewed and your courage strengthened. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you can do so at our website, theopenword.com. Just click on Teachings. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. And here to bring you a personal invitation to join us is Pastor David. Oh, absolutely. We here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we've got a seat waiting for you at our worship services. Come by on Saturday or Sunday or even Wednesday if you like. And we guarantee you'll meet some smiling faces and discover more about Jesus. We're nothing special as a church, just a diverse group of Jesus-loving people who delight in the challenge of the truth of God's Word. Come as you are, you'll fit right in. You'll be able to find out more about us when you visit our website, theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. That website again is theopenword.com. Just follow the link to our church's homepage. That's all we have time for today. But be sure to join us again for more insights into the book of 2 Thessalonians right here on The Open Word.